So thinking about the table as we were partaking, you've got two parts, right? You've got the bread and you've got the cup. And uh, as we proclaim together, one is uh, in representation of what Christ did in faithfulness to us as an example for us, and the other is, of course, related to his, his blood, which is for the remission of sins. Uh, but think about how that affects us practically. We partake of that uh, table every Sunday, and the first thing we do is we partake of the bread, which again represents faithfulness, and uh, is to be, in this respect, a reminder to us of our commitment to faithfulness. And if you think about that as it relates to weeks and Sunday or the Lord's Day being the first day of the week, we are then committing ourselves in a new week again to be faithful. And that, of course, is the prerequisite to the second part or piece or element, the wine or Christ's blood, which is given again for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, we partake of that to Uh, as we've talked about before, to wash our dirty feet, to again remove what was put there, even though we committed to faithfulness, uh, what was put there through our failures during the week, through the sin that uh, may have happened during the week. And so both of those things, very very practical, uh, if we think about them that way. Uh, We come to get washed, but we come again, and uh, I love the fact that uh, the bread comes first in this way, we come again committing ourselves, that is the prerequisite uh, to get the blood for forgiveness, we come again committing ourselves uh, to another week of faithfulness, faithfulness of life. Uh, Well, what we're going to talk about today, we'll uh, we'll touch on at least that piece, the the piece related to uh, faithfulness, because uh, we're going to again talk about uh, the subject of loyalty, Uh, the sermon title is The Power of Loyalty Part 2. Uh, This is a continuation of that, and faithfulness is uh, just a a synonym of that, loyalty or faithfulness or devotion. And our primary text for doing this, uh, for this conversation we're currently having that began last week, uh, is Matthew chapter 6. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 24. Jesus hears the one speaking, and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters.
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing in our time, shall we? Father, thank you that you've again given us the privilege to come here to this place to worship you. Thank you also that such a place exists. There is a refuge. There is a place on earth that we can run to that will, if we follow what is taught in that place, if we partake of the Spirit in that place, we will gain the eternal place. We will be made citizens of heaven. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that that again place, that place, your kingdom on earth still exists today. And Father, we pray that as we now again learn, as we open our minds to the teaching of your word, Father, we would pray that you would give to us what we need to go back into this world and to be the faithful people that we've already committed to being. Make it so, we pray, in Jesus, our King's name. Amen. Well, if you will, direct your eyes to the top of the handout there. A brief introduction to these verses. In Matthew six nineteen through 24, Jesus reveals the power of our discretionary, or the power, our discretionary, and last week it said listening. I've changed that to what I believe to be the better word here. Belief. Our discretionary and belief loyalties possess. Jesus reveals the power our discretionary and belief loyalties possess, not only for determining who we truly serve, who we are loyal to as king, but also for producing the salvation essential attributes. Salvation essential attributes of affection for God and conviction in regard to the word of God. Our confidence that loyalty is indeed Jesus' subject, meaning in these verses, is confirmed by his conclusion in verse 24. And what do we find there? Well, uh, two indications that this is indeed what he is uh, talking about in these uh, set of verses The word serve is used there in verse 24 and also the phrase be devoted to, which both of those uh, those, uh, two things or terms or phrases, what they indicate is this idea of loyalty or be loyal to. So by way of review then from last week, our first two points, discretionary loyalties and help getting to heaven. Jesus teaches the freedom we may believe we possess with regard to discretionary loyalties is not as free as we think. It's not as free as we think. That word treasures, I told you last week, based on how Jesus is using this particular term, and this is true for most of these kinds of terms. We see this in relation to heart. We're going to see that in relation to eye 
and uh, the words healthy and bad as well. Metonymy is the literary device being used by Jesus. And what Jesus is referring to then by this uh, word treasures is our discretionary loyalties. What do I mean by that? Or what does that term discretionary refer to? Well, those things, and in this case, again, loyalties, discretionary loyalties, those things we commit to that are not necessary to our physical health and life or the physical health and life of those under our care. Those things we call discretionary items or discretionary, in this case, commitments. Things that we don't need to live. They're free for us to choose. Some examples, or one example, hobbies. We looked at specific things uh, last week, and uh, I have them here a little bit further down in this uh, portion of our review. But in contrast to that, then, things that uh, are necessary, working a job. It's important that we understand the difference here between discretionary and necessary loyalties. Discretionary versus necessary loyalties. Discretionary things are, again, those things that we have the freedom to decide on. They're not things that are are necessary for our physical life or health or those under our care. In relation to those things, Jesus says we are to lay up, and by that he means spend the majority of our free time and money on those things that can help us Get to heaven, and he calls those things treasures in heaven, and not on those things that won't, which he refers to as treasures on earth. And here now are some of those discretionary specifics, cars, sports, fitness, recreation, food, video games, shopping, entertainment, fishing, kids' activities, etc., etc., Does that mean that those things are inherently bad? No, but if you are spending the majority of your time and money on those things, then yes, those things are now bad. Because that, by spending your time and your money, the majority of your time and money on those things, what are you doing but saying that these are your commitments in life? The things that you are loyal to. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, the little things, even in the little things, do it all to the glory of God. And so unless uh, you're using those things on that list that I gave to you uh, to the glory of God, then they are indeed treasures only fit for this earth. I told you uh, last week we ended with uh, this verse, Luke 16, verse 12. He who is faithful in little, these are the little things or the non-important things. And what Jesus teaches us there, he who is faithful in the little is faithful in the much. Our loyalty in the little things are a direct reflection of our loyalty to the big thing, our king. Let me just add to this, God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. He's already given us more than we deserve. More than we deserve. We therefore owe him everything our entire lives. We owe him 
everything. Being faithful or loyal with our discretionary time and money is the only option with an E-R-O-I, an eternal return on investment. Moth, that should say, it says most there. Moth and rust do not destroy. That's what it says in the text. Again, uh, there in verse 20, the treasures in heaven, those things that uh, do help us get to heaven are those things that do have an eternal return on investment. We're laying them up in a place where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. So that was our first point from last week. That led then to the second point, or the second truth taught by Jesus in these verses. This one coming from verse 21, discretionary loyalty and feelings of affection. In relation to that, we learn many Christians admit to possessing no feelings of affection for God. That's been my experience. Jesus teaches that our affections are often the product of loyalty. Verse 21, that term, heart. Again, another one of these uh, metonyms. What is Jesus referring to by this, uh, this term, heart? Our affections. And so plugging that back in uh, to the verse, uh, where your loyalties, again, that uh, is what this word treasure or treasures is referring to, uh, where your loyalties are, there your affections will be also. There your affections will be also. In other words, whatever you devote yourself to, you will eventually have affections for. Important not to miss, the relationship between loyalty and affection being taught by Jesus is the opposite of how many people view it. How do many people view this uh, relationship between loyalty and affection? Well, as I said, just the opposite. Loyalty to someone or something requires affection first. If they don't uh, possess immediate affection, then they can't be expected to be loyal, nor should they expect such, a, such affection to come after they have been loyal or committed. That's what a lot of people think. And because of that, many people will go to hell that kind of foolish thinking will send them to hell because they think, well, I see, I, it's not my fault. I, I can't be loyal because I don't have any affection. And if the affection's not there first, I can't expect it to come later, meaning after uh, I am committed. Well, that brings us then to our third point. Jesus now uh, dealing with not discretionary loyalties, but belief loyalty or what I'm calling belief loyalty, and spiritual health. Jesus continues his teaching on loyalty. This time, however, with respect to who or what we choose to believe. Notice the word choose there. Belief is a choice. Belief is a choice, and I'm going to say more about that here in just a second. But looking then to our verses, verses 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The eye, this term here again, another metonym, 
It refers to who or what we are loyal or faithful to believe as our source of truth. Who or what we are loyal or faithful to believe as our source of truth. The eye is, as he says, the lamp of the body. What does he mean by that? Lamp of the body. Uh, Lamp of the body. It will determine our spiritual health. Who or what we are loyal to or faithful to believe is our source or truth, that will determine our spiritual health, i.e., our chances of fighting the good fight and getting to heaven. So again, putting that all together, who or what you are loyal or faithful to listen to, who or what you are faithful to believe as your source of truth, that which you look to as uh, telling you the truth, the one you trust, will determine your spiritual health, your chances of getting to heaven. Jesus picks this up, this idea, also in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verses 13 through 16. Sorry, it's not, it's not 13. Do I have that there? 13 through 16. It starts in 16. 16 through 18. 16 through 18. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to the light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has more will be given, and the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Jesus says here actually uh, plays into where we're going next as well. This idea of the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. But before that, notice uh, what he does here as it relates to uh, this light That Jesus says you are not to uh, cover with a jar or put under the bed. You're going to be lighting that lamp with that light so that others can see the light. This is the light that must be made manifest. Well, he defines that light in verse 18 as this. Take care then how you hear. What is he telling us? Well, that's what he means by light. What you hear, who or what you listen to as your source of truth, light versus darkness. What are who you listen to? Take care, Jesus says. Be faithful. Take care. Be careful. Be faithful. Be careful to who you listen to or what you listen to, what you regard as truth. Be careful. Light your belief. Come to the light. There where he says that in verse 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known. And come to the light. Come 
to the light, your beliefs will be made known. Take care then how you hear again. Be careful to believe what is from or agrees with God and his word. So again, this idea of the the eye and the eye being the lamp of the body, these terms lamp, light, eye, all referring to, again, who we are loyal to listen to, what we are loyal or faithful to believe as our source of truth. And maybe that sounds weird to you because you do have this uh, idea that belief is somehow automatic. It's not something that I need to give myself to, that I need to commit myself to. Well, if you think that, you're wrong. Belief, no matter who or what it is in relation to, no matter who, is never automatic. It always requires an exercise of the will. In other words, it's a choice, a decision on our part, a decision. The only distinction that uh, some things are easier than others, uh, the only distinction is that some things are easier than others to believe. And so that's really the only distinction as it relates to Uh, belief, meaning this, that uh, believing in God is not somehow uh, magical, that it just happens naturally. And so if it doesn't happen naturally, that you should be somehow worried. Belief in God is uh, no different than any other belief that you might choose to have. It takes an exercise of the will, which means the only distinction as it relates to this particular subject is that some things are easier than others to believe. Not because, however, there is more data or intellectual support for those things, but because there exists more pressure or temptation to believe them. Let me just read that again. Not, however, because there is more data or intellectual support. At the end of the day, and uh, countless studies have actually been uh, conducted in relation to this, uh, people don't uh, believe certain things to be true or other things to not be true uh, simply because uh, the data shows those things to be true. Most of the time, if not all of the time, what causes people to believe, to believe, and I shouldn't say all of the time, uh, because it's obviously not all of the time, but for the majority of people, what has been found is that what they believe or choose to believe is not determined by facts, but feelings. In other words, the data doesn't matter. Where the facts point doesn't matter. They are willing to believe one thing over something else because it makes them feel better than the other thing. The other belief. Irrespective of where the facts may point. Feelings. 
I'm going to choose to believe this because uh, this makes me feel better than the, uh, the other option. The famous, uh, famous uh, British mathematician and uh, apologist John Lennox uh, uh, says this about atheism. I heard him just recently say this. He says that uh, people are atheists because it gives them comfort in uh, thinking that they'll never have to meet God. It terrifies them. And so they, they choose to believe the lie of atheism because it comforts them in that moment. Oh, there's no God, then I don't have to worry about giving an account for what I did or I'm currently doing. Belief in God or God's word is therefore once more a choice. And it is a choice once made that we must be loyal or faithful to continue exercising our, our will in the direction of And uh, that's important, I think, for many of you to understand that uh, you don't just believe and then uh, you just go on your way and it stays with you. We need to continue to make the choice to be faithful, to be loyal to those beliefs, to continue to exercise our wills in that direction. Why? Because once more, Belief loyalty is essential to fighting the good fight and getting to heaven. It is essential to our spiritual health. Again, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. What you are loyal to believe will determine your spiritual health. So if your eye is healthy, Jesus says... In other words, if you are loyal or faithful to listen to or believe only God in those things that agree with His Word, then your chances of fighting the good fight and getting to heaven are good. That's what he means by healthy. If your eye is healthy, if you're spiritually healthy, that's a person who is believing or being faithful to believe only God in those things that agree with his word, your chances of getting to heaven then are good. Your spiritual health is good. Now as it relates to belief being something that we do indeed need to be loyal to or faithful to, consider what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11. We've talked about this before uh, sometimes this is referred to as the Hall of Faith. I think the, uh, the better way of uh, looking at this particular chapter is as the Hall of Faithfulness. That word pistis can mean either faith or faithfulness. And based on the context, how this particular word uh, translated here as faith is used, uh, it's better suited as faithfulness. As it relates to that, notice verse 3. By faithfulness, by faithfulness, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. It's the unseen that has created the seen. But we understand that by what? Faithfulness. Faithfulness to believe what it is that God says. And what does God say? Out of nothing, right? God spoke, and it existed. The same thing in verse 6, and without 
faithfulness, it is impossible to please him for whoever, uh, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faithfulness to believe that, that God both exists and that if we will seek him, he will reward us eternally for that. Faithfulness to what we believe. Faithfulness. Second Timothy chapter 1, we see Paul commanding this very thing of Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. In these words, verses 13 and 14, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's all about the Christian faith or what it is that uh, we believe from God's word. That's what he's talking about here when he says the sound words the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. And notice the action words that are associated with it. Follow, guard. In other words, be faithful. Be loyal to these things. Be loyal to the sound words. Be faithful to your beliefs. Listening only to what it is that comes from God and agrees with God. Be faithful. Turning then back to our text, Matthew chapter 6. Again, if your eye is healthy, your chances are good, you're listening, you're being faithful to believe only and listen only to God and the things that agree with God, your eye is healthy. Skipping then over that last portion, we'll come back to it, but verse 23, but if your eye is bad... What does he mean by that? Well, the antithesis of if your eye is healthy, if your eye is bad, if you are not loyal or faithful to believe God and only the things that agree with God and his word, what does that look like? Well, at times you're guilty of listening to or entertaining the rebellious voices of this world or false Christianity or feelings-fueled thoughts in your head. Sometimes this is the way that uh, it comes across. What if they're right? What if they're right? The world, false Christianity. What if they're right? Are you entertaining that? Are you listening to that? You see, this is what it means, or what Jesus means rather, when he says, if your eye is bad. You're not guarding the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. You're not following the pattern of sound words that was given to you through God's word. Instead, you're playing around in your head, listening to or entertaining the rebellious voices both externally and internally. Feeling, uh, feelings-fueled thoughts. Uh, this is uh, what uh, the writer of uh, Proverbs 28 is talking about uh, there in verse uh, 26. For some of you, this needs to be your life verse. 
Proverbs 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. What is he talking about there when he says mind? Feelings-fueled thoughts. Anyone who trusts in that, feelings-fueled thoughts, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom... And the wisdom, of course, that he's referring to here is the wisdom that comes from God's word will be delivered. Delivered is just another word for saved. Will be saved. He who trusts in what his mind's telling him, that's the fool. But he who is faithful to walk in the wisdom of God's word, that's the person that will be saved. You see, this is not automatic. You don't believe and then just kind of drift along and think that you can listen to what's coming in through the holes in the side of your head or maybe internally from your heart and think that somehow you're still going to get to the end and get to heaven. It doesn't happen that way. What you commit to when you commit to believe is to continue to believe those things and daily to commit yourself to walk in wisdom. Not listening to the outside world. Not listening to the voices in your head. Point not to miss. Your spiritual health, which again is a reference to chances of fighting the good fight or getting to heaven, will be directly affected by how loyal or faithful you are to believe only God or those things that agree with His Word. Which means we need to always be asking the question, is what I am believing or entertaining as true from God or in agreement with God's Word? And if I don't know the answer to that, then I do not trust or listen to it. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 10. You know the text, uh, verses 3 through 5, where he says, We're taking captive all thoughts to the obedience of Christ, to our King. Here's some examples. Psychology. Here's what psychology preaches as truth as it relates to man or humans. Deviant behavior is the result of mental illness or physiological malfunction in the brain, which makes everyone then just a victim, right? Deviant behavior is the result of mental illness, physiological malfunction in the brain, not the volitional rebellion of a sinful soul or person capable of doing otherwise, diametrically opposed, in other words, to what the Word of God teaches about human beings and why it is that we're culpable and why it is that we will stand and we will give an account and that we will be judged according to our deeds because we are very much capable. We are not victims. And yet that's what 
psychology teaches. That's actually foundation to a foundational rather to everything that psychology teaches. Deviant behavior is the result of mental illness, a physiological problem. How about evolution? Again, in opposition to what God's word teaches, human beings are not the offspring of divinity. Remember our text from Acts 17, Paul's Mars Hill Address, where he says that we are God's offspring. We are the offspring of divinity. That's not what evolution teaches. Evolution teaches that human beings are not the offspring of divinity, but animals. Again, who or what are you listening to? Atheism. Again, opposed to what God says. Our lives have meaning. Our lives have purpose. Hence again, the reason that God can righteously judge us. Atheism, in contrast to that, says our existence is an accident. Life, therefore, has no meaning. And many people, as it relates to the subject of justice, many people will get away with their evil deeds. Again, opposed to what God says, everyone will pay. No one will get away. God will repay everyone according to what they've done. Atheism says, no, there's going to be lots and lots and lots of people who get away with their evil. Who or what are you listening to? What are you being faithful to listen to, to believe? What are you entertaining as truth? Well, as it relates to uh, this particular subject, belief loyalty, there is an additional connection to be made, not just uh, our spiritual health, but in relation to strong or deep conviction. That's number four on the list. Similar to affection for God, many Christians often claim to lack the kind of deep or strong conviction they know they should possess with regard to God and His Word. Once more, Jesus teaches this subject to be related to a person's loyalty. So affection, that's related to your loyalty. Strong conviction, deep conviction, also related to loyalty. Going back to verse Uh, 22, picking up that uh, portion that we skipped over there. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What does he mean by that, full of light? Your whole body will be full of light. Again, we already know if your eye is healthy, that means you're loyal to, uh, to believe, you're faithful to listen to only what comes from God or agrees with God in His Word. If that's the case, Jesus says now your whole body will be full of light. What does He mean by that? Well, He means that your belief in God and His Word, light, again, that refers to light, will be strong, it will be full. In other words, the result will be the possession of deep or strong conviction in God and His Word. By being faithful in that way to listen only to what comes from God or agrees with God and His Word, your belief will grow. It will become strong. It will become deep conviction. 
in your heart. Second Peter chapter 1 addresses this particular issue in these words. And we have, he says this, Peter, and we have the prophetic word, meaning the word of God more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. What does he mean by pay attention? Loyal. You do well to be loyal to God's word. We have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention, to be loyal to as a lamp. Here's our lamp. Again, a term coming up, shining in a dark place. And then this final phrase, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What's Peter saying there? Well, again, very similar to what we are discussing here from Matthew 6. Uh, Keep being loyal to only believe. Again, pay attention to God's word, to the prophetic word more fully confirmed. There's a lamp shining in a dark place. Verse 20 tells us that, again, he is speaking about Scripture, the prophecy of Scripture. Until it results in deep conviction. That's what he means by until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Keep believing. Keep being faithful to believe those things and only those things. Until it results in deep conviction. The morning star rising in your hearts is that idea of deep conviction in the soul. Sometimes this is referred to as indoctrination. And uh, indoctrination equals conviction. This is something that even uh, secular people understand. Indoctrination equals conviction. We become convinced of. We become convinced of what it is that uh, we feed on. This is how people become uh, political radicals, right? You go to their house and they've got the boob tube on 24-7, Fox News. And whether it's Ben Shapiro or whoever's on there, the talking head, and it's all day long propaganda, right? Indoctrination. And uh, those people, as they do that kind of stuff and they listen to that kind of stuff, they become all the more convinced, right, uh, that what is being said uh, is the truth. Not because uh, uh, they've necessarily taken the time to ferret out what is being spoken, but because uh, they've chosen to be faithful, to be committed, to just listen to what's being said and to consider what's being said as uh, truth, as truth. The value of deep conviction in regard to God and his word, the value of this, of having deep conviction, uh, well, it's what gives you the courage to stand against the opposition and stamina to persevere through persecution. It's what gives you the courage to stand against opposition and the stamina to persevere through persecution. Uh, We see this in relation to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses, uh, what do I have there? Verses uh, 8 through 4, excuse excuse me, verse uh, chapter 4, 4, 8 through 14. 
He says this, we are afflicted in every way. Notice that, persecuted. That's what he means here by uh, affliction. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. Notice that even Paul, in relation to his situation at times, he's admitting here that he could be confused, perplexed, but not driven to despair. There's stamina, right? In the midst of the persecution, even though he can have all kinds of different feelings about uh, what's going on, he's afflicted, he's perplexed, but he's not crushed, he's not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, since we have the same spirit of faith. What does he mean by that? Conviction. And here now he's going to tell us why or what gives him the ability to persevere. Since we have the same conviction according to what has been written, I believed. And so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak. Even in the midst of affliction and persecution, we speak. We have courage. We have courage because of our conviction. We have stamina in the midst of our persecution. Conviction, Paul says, is the key. This is why we continue to speak, knowing, and here was his conviction, here's his strong belief, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Why is the resurrection important? Well, it means that there is a life after this life. That's his point. Paul says we are convicted of this we know this to be true and so we're going to be faithful we have the stamina we have the the courage to stand against the opposition because we're convicted this is true there is a life after this life knowing that he who raised jesus will raise us also for it is all for your sake that So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase to thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away through the affliction, through the persecution, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why again, and here we see the conviction for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not through physical eyes, but through spiritual eyes of faithful, loyal belief that has now created conviction as we look through those eyes, we look not to the things that are, that are seen but to the things that are unseen, those things that created the things that are seen. For the things that are seen are transient. There's the treasures of this world or the treasures of this life, the temporary things. They're temporary, but the things that are unseen are the 
eternal things. Paul's conviction, Paul's conviction is what gave him the courage and the stamina to speak and to persevere under heavy persecution. Deep conviction, specifically as it related to what? What was awaiting him in heaven. That kind of conviction, but again, listen to me, beloved, that only comes if you're faithful and loyal to continue to believe what you began believing at first. And some of you don't have that. I've heard this. Uh, Some of you, uh, and I want you to think of yourself right now because this may be you, and some of you, I know it's you, Uh, you feel like what you hear on Sunday is kind of like listening to a fairy tale. It's fantasy. What creates that rather than conviction that this is the truth, the kind of conviction that causes me to stand and continue to speak it irrespective of what other people think? It's loyalty to what you believe. Which means if you're sitting here today and you say, well, sometimes it feels like a fairy tale, that ought to tell you where you're not, again, being loyal. What it is that you're entertaining on a regular basis. And why possessing lack of conviction or no conviction with regard to these things, God's word is so dangerous, is because it will ultimately lead, not to just lack of conviction, but ultimately it will lead to apostasy. And that is what Jesus is talking about there When he says in verse 23, that final uh, statement, if then the light in you is darkness, what you continue to entertain and listen to, if that is the case, how great is the darkness? How great is the darkness? What is he referring to? Well, he's referring to apostasy. I skipped over that first part there. If you go back up to, in your notes, 4-4, if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. I need to unpack that first so you can make the connection here. Darkness is not an, ent- an entity or a substance, right? It's the lack thereof. It indicates the lack of light. And light is, again, referring to truth or specifically God's truth. Seeing that Jesus uses the phrase full of light to refer to deep conviction means that what Jesus is referring to by great darkness is lack of or no conviction. This then is a result of listening to or entertaining or believing what does not agree with God and his word. You become a person who lacks or possesses no conviction regarding God or the truths taught in his word. Again, you feel like it's a fairy tale. And again, why is that... So dangerous. Well, it's more than just the lack of conviction piece. It will also eventually lead to apostasy. How great, again, is the darkness? Again, a reference to apostasy. Lack of or no conviction will therefore not only, will not be the only result of allowing ourselves. Again, it's a choice. And choosing to allow ourselves to listen to or entertain or believe what is not in agreement with God or his word. Well, if we do not repent and stop, we will eventually go apostate. 
we will eventually go apostate. I've given you uh, several verses there. Matthew 13, 22 is, uh, uh, speaks to the person that is concerned with the cares of the world. And I believe that what he's talking about there by concerned is that uh, he's listening to the things of the world. He's concerned about what the world thinks. This person. 1 Peter 2, verse 8. If you experience the goodness of the Lord, continue to drink his spiritual milk like a baby longs for, uh, for the milk of uh, his or her mother, long for God's word. Again, be faithful to listen. And then he goes on to talk about those who have stumbled permanently or eternally stumbled. That brings us then to uh, the couple of Proverbs here that I'd like you to consider with me that also speak to this uh, this particular issue, Proverbs 8 is the first. Proverbs 8, verses 32 through 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Uh, this uh, whole proverb is concerned with uh, wisdom, and here it's being personified as a person or as a woman. And wisdom, again, is uh, in reference to True wisdom, that found in God's word. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. There, there's the, the picture of faithfulness, right? Watching daily at my gates. The one who's faithful to listen to me. The one, blessed is the one who listens to me faithfully, watching Daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, this is how you find me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, how do you fail to find me or her, wisdom, God's word? Well, by not watching daily at her gates, not being faithful. The one who fails to find me injures himself. And ultimately, notice where it ends. All who hate me love death. You start to hate me and uh, you will end up in the place, I think is the point, you will end up in the place of death. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, verse 16 one who wanders from the way of good sense. One who wanders from the way of good sense. You're not faithful. The idea of wandering, right, is you're, 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 uh, you're on the path. That's assumed. Uh, and, 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 and now you're, you're deviating. You're wandering from that path. And again, this is talking about what is happening in the mind, uh, the path or the way of good sense, what you think what you entertain in your mind, the one who wanders from that is not faithful, will rest, notice, in the assembly of the dead. Apostasy. Apostasy. Verse 28, a false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears, who listens, who faithfully listens, will endure. Will endure. Again, all speaking to uh, this issue. This is uh, 1 Corinthians, by the way, also. uh, Verses uh, uh, 1 through 12 of 1 Corinthians 10. Where the writer uh, 
says this, take heed lest you fall. I believe that's verse 13, and that's uh, the conclusion uh, to the prior verses which talk about everything that uh, Israel initially saw and experienced, the parting of the Red Sea, walking or being led by God in this uh, uh, incredible supernatural uh, pillar of fire by night and uh, uh, a pillar of cloud by day. And uh, he equates uh, that as well as drinking from those rocks that, were, uh, that, were, that, that, that gushed forth water for them in the desert. All of these supernatural events he equates to uh, being baptized as well as eating of the body of Christ. He says the rock that was there, that rock that fed them or, or gave them uh, water that nourished them was Christ. He said they had all of those experiences. They had all of those belief moments and they all believed in those moments initially, but the majority of them were left dead in the desert because they were not faithful to continue to believe. They were not faithful to uh, hold their minds in check, to not wander from the path. And so uh, Paul says there, take heed. Those who think they stand, take heed lest you fall. And again, the way that you take heed, it's not passive. It takes work. It takes being in God's Word. It takes indoctrination. Constant listening, daily watching at her gates. Taking God's Word into your mind. This is the result. Conviction, that's the good side of things. This is the result. Lack of conviction and apostasy. That is the bad side of things. When you don't put in the time. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 25 and 26. Lack of hearing the truth assembling together as he says. Do not forsake the assembling together. And uh, what takes place during the assembly. What is the high point of our assembling together. But listening to and hearing the word of God. Uh, he says there that it leads then to apostasy. We go on sinning willfully. An unrepentant state of, of permanent unbelief. Apostasy. By the way, not engaging your mind when reading your Bible or during the preaching of God's Word will also keep you from possessing conviction and eventually lead to apostasy. Why? Because belief in God requires engagement of your mind. And that's really what I mean by listening to, attempting to understand what is being said and its importance to life in general or me personally. Are you doing that? Or are you reading your Bible because that's what mom and dad tell you you need to do? And the whole time you're reading, you're, you're thinking about all of these uh, discrepancy uh, loyalties that you have in the world that you just can't wait to get to. Uh, but uh, you understand this is just, you've got to throw God a bone now and then. And when you come on Sunday, your mind is still engaged and fixated on those things. And you really don't ever understand because you, uh, because you never take the time to understand. You don't engage your mind. On Sundays. Why do people tend to believe the world? Why do so many uh, believe the things of the world? Well, think about it. Engage your mind now, if you will, uh, be, uh, because it requires no engagement of the mind. 
Most of the things in the world, and the reason they are so attractive, the belief system of the world, it satisfies superficially, hiding its deeper flaws. It tells me at the beginning exactly what I want to hear, which is what? Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Believe whatever you want. You're a good person. You're a victim. You don't need to feel bad about what you're doing. And you say, yeah, I, 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 I find that much easier to believe. And the reason you do is because it pleases or it satisfies superficially. If you ever took the time to reason with it, to engage your mind to understand what is being said, you would see just how incompatible it is with reality. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, uh, we won't turn there, I'll just uh, make reference to it here. This is all about the uh, wayward woman and the father who is writing this to his uh, young son. As I told you, the Proverbs are written to young people primarily, and he says, don't go after her. Even though her speech is smooth, he says, and how she looks, all these superficial things, he says, I know, that's the attractive piece. And the things that she says to you, you, you want to believe those things. It's easy to believe those things because of the, the satisfaction that you're immediately getting from it. And he says, but her ways are in the pit of Sheol, and all those who go after her will end up there end up there. Uh, Charles Darwin, the, uh, the father, the uh, architect of uh, evolution, it's interesting, <clears throat> I remember reading this uh, from him, he stated that his theory of evolution came about as a result of no longer reading and engaging God's word. He grew up in the church and he read God's word and uh, uh, he admitted that uh, this no engagement in God's word was ultimately what led him to no longer believing God's word and coming up with uh, this theory of evolution to replace it. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't that he said, I'm going to make sure that God's word is true. I'm going to engage my mind. I'm going to attempt to understand every facet of what it's saying to see if it's true. He didn't do that. Matter of fact, I've never met a person, and a lot of people say, oh, I've read the Bible uh, several times, and it's, it's filled with uh, contradictions. I always laugh when I hear that, because I, I, I've been doing this for 20-some years, and not to, in any superficial way, and I've yet to find uh, such contradictions. Uh, people don't... Uh, distrust the Bible because uh, they've engaged their minds. You see, it's just the opposite. That's what makes it so dangerous. When you engage your mind, you find out just how true it is. Francis Collins, I believe his name is, uh, he wrote a book. You could look up uh, the name and you could find the book. It has something to do with God's in the title. He was an atheist, and uh, this man did just that. He went in with the intention of uh, tearing the Bible apart. And this is, uh, I think, 17th or 18th century maybe 19th, early 19th century. He went in with the intention of tearing the Bible apart, finding all of its problems. And he went in engaging his mind and he came out a Christian. From an atheist to a Christian, by engaging his mind. 
What happens then? What are we saying? No engagement of the mind equals no understanding. No understanding equals no deep conviction or strong belief. And that eventually leads to strong doubt and apostasy. Embracing what is false. You know, there, no one has ever, ever in this church has ever left and said, I don't believe this anymore. And every time I, I say, please enlighten me, help the rest of us, get us off this boat if it's headed in the wrong direction. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if all of this is a lie, we are to be pitied above all men. Even Paul understood this. If this is a lie, are you kidding me? We're wasting our time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And I have yet to have somebody uh, say anything at all. As a matter of fact, they never have anything they can say that makes any sense at all. It's always just, I'm more comforted over there, wherever there is in the world. By the way, uh, a suggestion here, and you'll see it that way in the notes, uh, Every time a Christian reads their Bible or hears a sermon, and this is for you, again, a suggestion, I would suggest that you do this, uh, you should commit to understanding at least one truth that you know that you understand well enough that you could share it with others. And parents, what a great uh, way to follow up with your kids' reading and Sundays after the sermon. Make them share their bread. Say, share your bread. You learn something, teach us now. Teach mom and dad what it is you learn. Tell us what you've understood. Followed by the discipline necessary when they've, sit, uh, they've sat there the whole time not doing that. No different than what you should be doing if uh, their teacher calls and says, uh, they don't listen in class. They're not engaging their minds. Point not to miss then. What makes the difference between possessing strong conviction, courage, and perseverance? Parents, don't you want this for your children? What makes the difference between possessing that strong conviction, courage, and perseverance? Uh, another indication, by the way, of a wimpy, uh, a wimpy Christian, someone who lacks courage, is a, is, 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 is a Christian that lacks conviction, which tells you then that they're not being loyal to what they believe. They're not engaging their mind what makes the difference then between possessing strong conviction with regard to God or God's word versus doubt and apostasy is whether or not you are loyal to believe or engage your mind or understand what comes from or agrees with God in his word. It's that simple. It's simple to understand. It takes work. But simple to understand. That brings us to the final truth here taught by Jesus, really, again, the summary or the conclusion. You cannot be loyal to persons or things that will not help you get to heaven or listening to what is not in agreement with God and at the same time be loyal to God, gain affection for God, or deep conviction for the truths taught in his word. Let me just say that one more time. You cannot be loyal to persons or things that will not help you get to heaven or listening to what is not in agreement with God, and at the same time be loyal to God, gain affection for God, or deep conviction for the truths taught in his word. And again, this is how Jesus concludes uh, this teaching on loyalty. He does it by warning us not to be deceived into thinking that we have one foot in the church and one in the world. Verse 24, again, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. No one can serve two masters. It's not going to work out that way. You cannot serve God and money. Judgment Day is not going to be a tie. You are equally devoted to both. What does he mean by money here? This term is mammon in the Greek and often translated as money. And this is a perfect example of metonymy. In a sense, uh, the word itself is uh, being used uh, because what is often needed to possess the treasures on earth, uh, these uh, discrepancy uh, items on earth, is money. What is often, or what rather often determines also who we listen to or believe are those people who will get us money to buy earthly treasures. And I left out an example there, but an easy example is uh, someone uh, who is maybe loyal to their uh, company more than they are God. Their boss more than God. Because uh, their boss pays them the money they need to buy their earthly treasures. So again, this term uh, money uh, being used in that way to circle back to the prior two items. Because of money's association with our treasures on earth or who we choose to listen to. These again, remember I called last week, are little loyalties, the insignificant things, the things that are, as Paul says, transient. As Jesus says, the things where uh, thieves can break in and steal, that moth and rust do destroy. The insignificant thing are little loyalties where you spend your discretionary time and money and what you are faithful to believe are the things deciding our ultimate or big loyalty. Who are what we are truly devoted to. Again, Jesus' words, not mine. You cannot serve two masters. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You'll love one and hate the other. Well, What's going to determine that? What decides where our ultimate or big loyalty lies are these little things. These little loyalties are what determine who we are truly devoted to or love as our master in this life. God or self, which is just another way to put this when we're serving this world or the things of this world or for the things of this world, we're ultimately just serving self. Point then not to miss two things. The little things determine the big thing. The little things determine the big thing. He who is faithful in the little is faithful in the much. He who is not faithful in the little is not loyal to the much. And number two, God's measuring stick is action, not aspiration. God's measuring stick is action, not aspiration, what you aspire to do. And a lot of people are tricked by that, right? That's, well, I I want to serve God. I want to go to heaven. But they don't do anything about it. This is Luke uh, 13, uh, where uh, the man asked Jesus, Lord, are there only a few going to heaven? And uh, Jesus responds by saying, uh, Agonizomai, Agonized to enter through the narrow gate, through this constrictive way. 
that is going to require all of you. Yes, it's that kind of commitment, but it's worth it. Agonized to enter through that door. Many will want to, they will aspire to, but not be able. Why? Because they're not willing to put in the time. God's measuring stick on Judgment Day, beloved, is action, not aspiration. You are what you do, not what you want to do or think. How many of you are sitting there right now and you've had this mindset? Well, I, God knows my heart. He knows that I'm a person who wants to do the right thing. I just don't do it. Maybe the closing contemplation then will help. Uh, I'm going to again start it with a verse, this time from Deuteronomy 29, 29 verse 19. 29, 19. Another text you should be familiar with. God says this, One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, this is a, uh, a warning. Notice verse 18, Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk, though I act in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and the dry alike. And uh, we know because of what he says in verse 20, what he means by that, the sweeping away, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. The one who blesses himself in his heart says, I will be safe. So the closing contemplation is this. Are you being careful? Are you being careful to make sure you are loyal to the little things? Careful. The little things where you spend your discretionary time and money and what or who you are listening to, whether it's externally or internally, are you being careful to be loyal? It takes carefulness. Or are you like the Israelite of Deuteronomy 29 who was foolishly confident all would be well, you will be blessed, though you continue to walk in the stubbornness of your heart. As I said last week, if today were judgment day, what would your current discretionary and belief loyalties reveal as the one you were truly loyal to? God or mammon? Here's a question to ask. Who did you serve in your free time last night? Who or what did you serve in your free time last night? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your word because you love us. 
what an indication that you do indeed love us and that you desire us to get to heaven. You've given us your word. I pray, Father, that we are faithful to take what has been taught today, to listen to what has been taught today and to change our lives accordingly. I pray for the parents that they would be courageous. They would be faithful to you to, to be the kind of parents that you've called them to be with their children. They would fight for their souls by fighting to see that those that you've put under their care, that they are indeed engaging their minds when engaging in the reading of your word and the listening of your word on Sundays. Father, make it so we pray. In Jesus, our King's name, amen.